sermon this morning on forgiveness. And I've preached this several times, and frankly, I need to hear it several more times. So, uh, but uh, just an amazing uh, parable story from Jesus himself. And so, uh, if you would turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18, we're going to be starting in verse 21. Hear the word of God. Then Peter came to him, Jesus that is, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was, excuse me, was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave him his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait and he had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were upset And went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart let's pray heavenly father we just thank you so much for your grace we thank you uh, for your word which we know is is infallible it is inspired by you and is given to us as as revelation of your will for us special revelation of how we might know you how we might be saved and so lord as we come to your word i pray you'd help us to come humbly help us to come with the power of your spirit, that your spirit would help us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I don't know if you noticed, but I was reading out of the wrong version. And I, so I'm turning in uh, my ESV because there's some phrases in the, in the passage that are going to be important for us as we go on. So sorry about that if it was hard to read and follow along. Um, that's been the kind of morning it's been right there. That's summed up my morning right there. Just, so... so God wins, yes. So, um, we were watching a, a movie yesterday afternoon that I've actually watched all the way through. I, I didn't make it all the way through last night because it's extremely long. It's kind of a painful movie to watch, it's, if you, especially if you don't have a, a very strong stomach for, for gore and those kind of things. But it's called The Revenant or Revenant. And it's, but here's the thing. It's, it's all it is really a, it's a movie of survival it's a movie of will but it's a guy who who gets mauled by a bear but basically gets betrayed 
by some, some people that he was working with. They end up murdering his son. And he has this will to survive. And his will to survive is merely fueled by his desire to get revenge. We love that, don't we? Reminds me of the movie Patriot. And there's a whole long list of movies that we just we revel in. We love it when we see, you know, see somebody. Or even like John Wick. That are, I don't know if you all remember that movie, When They Kill His Puppy. Oh, man. And then, then the rest of the movie's like, yeah, beat them up, kill them, you know, tear them up. Because we want them to pay. We want them to get back what they had been, that, that they had doled out. And there's something deep within us that when people do us wrong, when we are offended, when we're embarrassed or humiliated or are betrayed or whatever it might be, we want payback. We want that other person to hurt at least as bad as we did, if not more. And, and very often that's how uh, we operate. Um, and that, that's fine until you it, try to have a healthy relationship with somebody. <laughs> and, and it begins to affect how you live and so on. And, and so in, and there's a real problem with that. Hebrews chapter 12, um, verse 15, second half of it says, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, he's using the, this analogy of root. Why? I can't help but think of when I... I like to go easy. I'm like this, the shortcut method of weed eating, which I will use my, my, my line trimmer, and I'll go out and I'll whack the weeds down instead of going and yanking them out of the ground. And guess what? They grow back because the root is still in the ground. And that's the picture the author of Hebrews wants us to see is that, is that when um, we, you know, we can cut down certain things, but we can pretend like, Bitterness and anger and resentment and lack of forgiveness doesn't really matter. It doesn't really affect us. But re- resentment and anger is very much like a root. Okay? And, and if we exact revenge, we are, okay? So there's two things, in two ways. We can, we can get payback. And that, in some ways, makes it feel better temporarily. But then it just, but in the end, it really just leaves us feeling just as miserable as we did before. It doesn't really solve the hurt of the problem that was started. Reminds me of a movie, um, uh, it was called The Hostels, which I was really surprised. I just thought it was just going to be, you know, just a straight out western, shoot them dead kind of thing. And it, but you meet this man who uh, is in the service of the U.S. Army, and he has been wounded and hurt or offended or something by the Native Americans. And his whole life has been about revenge and murdering, killing as many of them as he can. And, and you meet him kind of at that, that point at the beginning of this movie. And you realize that after all that revenge and all that, he's still just as miserable and aimless and lost as he was before. And then I won't tell the rest of the movie because it's a good movie. I won't ruin it for you because it's much better than I thought it was going to be. All right? But, and if we really don't, do, so that's one way we can deal with it. We can, just, we can just exact revenge on people and get a little bit of payback. The problem is that leaves us still wanting. Or we can shove it under the rug. We can sweep it under the rug, pretend like we're not really mad. And a lot of us do that, especially down here in the South, you know. Like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's okay. You know, and, but the reality is, if we just sweep it under the rug, eventually 
is going to come out. Eventually, it's going to affect our decisions. Eventually, we're going to blow up or something. You ever had that happen? So, what Jesus points us to here in Matthew 18 is genuine forgiveness. Jesus is asked by one of his disciples, Peter, comes to him. Because he's been talking about reconciliation. Up to this point in Matthew, he's been painting this picture of what do you do when somebody offends you? Well, you go to them personally. You don't gossip about them. You don't do all these other things. You go to them personally. If that doesn't work, you bring somebody along. You know, so he has a process of beginning reconciliation, working towards rec- reconciliation. Which we'll, we'll, we'll ask the question later, just make us holy, holy doormats No. Because we do want to move towards justice and reconciliation. But, so Peter comes to him after having talked about reconciliation. He says, okay, so how many times then should I forgive my brother? And this was a common rabbinical debate at the time. In which rabbis would debate how much forgiveness should you show. One time? Three times? Well, so Peter's thinking, there's, there's definitely a limit. There's definitely a point in which you must say, I can, I'm going to stop forgiving this person. And so he comes to Jesus and says, well, I'm going to look really holy here. I'm gonna, you know, Peter like, wants to look good. And he says, what about seven times? You know, I'm sure he was like, yeah. You know, thinking Jesus was going to give him the little gold star of the day. And he's going to get a pat on the back, you know, and like everything's going to look really good in front of everybody. And, and Jesus says, no. No. Okay? It's, it's seven times seven. Seventy times seven times. Okay? And so, but Jesus gives this, he's going to give a story that illustrates the power of genuine forgiveness. And, and here's the thing. Until we fully live in God's forgiveness and learn, learn to live, forgive others, I mean, our relationships, our lives are going to be corrupted by that root of bitterness. And it's going to affect your, your marriage relationship, your relationship with your kids, your parents, particularly your in-laws, your work relationships, bosses. It's your neighbors who, you know, struggle with their, their water problems and whatever it might be. We're going to struggle with these things. These are going to be real realities in our lives. And sometimes it might be big things, big, horrible, hurtful things. But the really hard ones are going to be those daily slights, those daily things, particularly with those closest to us. And if we don't learn genuine forgiveness, we are going to continue to struggle in our relationships. And so Jesus tells us and shows us how to have genuine forgiveness that's not just forced. It's not just pressed and white-knuckled through. And so, two aspects to that, okay? And the first is that we would fully accept and understand God's forgiveness towards us. Now, you were paying attention to the story. It's the story of this king, this ruler, who is calling in servants to, to settle his debts. And he calls in this servant. Now, when you think of servant, you think of kind of like a lowly slave, a guy who would, you know, be serving at the tables and those kind of things. Which the picture here is probably in the first century world, this servant isn't exactly the type of servant you might normally think of. 
at somebody who's cleaning out the stables and those kind of things, but rather he is probably like a governor or some type of official that this king has placed in charge of a a particular, maybe a province or a, a city or some other place. And he has given him money in order to do what he's supposed to do. And this servant has somehow, whether through stupidity or corruption or whatever, we don't really know, has, has lost a lot of money. And he calls him in and he wants him to settle this debt and to, 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 so that he can liquidate his assets for whatever reason. And here's the thing, the stakes are high for this king, especially once you figure out how much money was actually owed. And it says in verse 24, And then to settle, he was brought him to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, when you read that, it's kind of hard to understand what's actually going on here. And so, let me, let's just let me kind of help you all with the math here. Okay? A talent, from what you can read and we can kind of guess, in the first century, a talent was about a year or a year and a half's worth of wages. Okay, now let's just do some math here. Okay, I'm not very good at math. Okay, but let's just say, what's the average salary nowadays? 30,000, 40,000? It's a pretty decent average salary probably. In this area, I think it's 30,000. So let's say 30,000 times 10,000. It's billions of dollars. It's money. It's, it's an amount that when you hear, when, when the disciples heard him say it, would have been like, whoa, that's a lot of money. Nobody could ever pay that back. And so this servant falls down and begs for mercy. Because he knows there's no way he's ever going to pay this back. And so what Jesus is pointing to, and we get this idea at the end of the story, is this is... Our debt before God is like that. Our debt before God is so insurmountable, so big, we could never pay God back. And I know a lot of people talk about, uh, they're talking about, I'm going to get right with God. And I think what they mean is, I'm going to start doing a good life so that maybe God, I can start paying Him back, I can start doing right by Him, and He'll start to do good things for me. But the problem is, we already owe him so much, there is no way you could ever pay him back. It is insurmountable. Um, How do we owe God that much? What does it mean to owe God? What do we owe God? How could we possibly be in God's debt? Well, think about it. Number one, he created us. Your very existence is due Him. And then your very life, the breath you breathe, the planet you hang out on, everything in your life is owed to Him. Nothing you have, nothing you do, is, not, is, because, is, is, is be all because of Him. Not only that, but God is the most valuable, holy Supreme being in the universe. And, and, and he is owed. Owed. Honor. Glory. Praise. And obedience. And a lot more. And 
every one of us fail to honor him, we fail to praise him, we fail to acknowledge him, we fail to listen to him, we, we, we ignore him, we act like he's not there, and, 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 and the debt is just insurmountable. Every one of us falls horribly short. And so we might say, well, I'm not, I've heard a lot of people say this, I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, I'm pretty bad, but I'm okay. I mean, I'm a pretty nice guy. And, but that guy over there, he's a lot worse than me. And so he, maybe he'll break the curve. But that, that would be like this guy standing before the king, owing billions of dollars, saying, um, well, hey, I know it's a lot of money. It's, I mean, I know billions and billions of dollars is a lot of money. But that guy over there, I think he owes you even more. Does the king care that moment? No. It's like, it just doesn't work, does it? It's like, I owe you a billion dollars, but that guy owes you a billion and one. So don't worry about me. I'm okay. And that's kind of the idea here. Okay? But this, tells, but this story really tells us a lot about how God forgives and what forgiveness actually looks like. Okay? Um, First of all, look what happens here. Okay? He brings this servant in. Servant can't pay. Servant's begging for mercy. And the text says, okay, he says, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And here's, here's what it says. Verse 27. And out of pity for him. Got that? Out of pity for him. So the, the first thing that happens here is that this master shows pity or mercy on the servant. And the term here, the term here is uh, to have com- great compassion. So his, his heart went out to him. Um, uh, so, so God shows compassion and understanding, and in some ways gives us the benefit of the doubt. So in order to, to begin to forgive somebody, you, you, you have to, and we'll get, this, we'll get into this more depth later, there, there has to be a move of mercy or pity first. Okay, but then he goes on. So then, then something else happens, okay? Is that an amazing cost has to be paid. So it says that the master, um, instead of ordering him to, you know, to, to prison or whatever, um, it says that he forgave him the debt. Forgave him to debt. So, and you got to think about this, what this means. Okay? Now, it's one, you know, you think about, oh, we'll just forget about it. We'll just sweep it under the rug. But what has to happen for this king to, to forgive this debt? So somebody owes you $100, and they don't pay you back, and you decide to say, hey, don't worry about it. Just, just keep it. What had to happen there? You had to decide to take a $100 loss. And so this king amazingly forgives this humongous debt. And in so doing takes upon himself 
the loss of that humongous debt. That's the process. That's what has to happen. That is the cost of forgiveness. Okay? And so what is the cost that God paid? So you think about how you are forgiven and you become a Christian you, and you become forgiven your sin and your debt before God is that a cost had to be paid. And that's what happened. Jesus came, lived a perfect life we could never live. And he died a what we call a penal substitutionary death. Penal, in other words, it's judgment. It's substitutionary in that he took our place. He took our suffering, he took our pain, our judgment that was deemed for us, he took it and paid it for us. Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities upon him. The chastisement made us whole, and with his stripes we were healed. Or in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered one for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So God took the loss. Jesus took the loss for your debt. That's what the cross meant. He took the loss for our debt. And so, there's more to this. The the servant had pity. He, He forgave the debt. And then it also says that he let him go. He let him go. He let him go. That phrase is super important in this text. Okay? Um, here's the thing. He is relinquishing the right to get payback. Because what did the king want to do? Lock him up? Sell him? Sell his family? Sell his kids? Get something back. He wanted to exact. Initially, he wanted to exact something out of this guy it may not be billions he may never get full payback but he wanted initially he wanted some kind of payback and instead he had pity took the loss and now lets him go and so forgiveness is stop is, is relinquishing your right to get payback and that's what god does for us he no longer counts our sin True forgiveness lets the offender off the hook completely. So it's not like, um, there's no idea of partial forgiveness. Oh, I I forgive you, but then I'm going to bring it up later. Okay? Forgiveness means no more sly references to create guilt. Okay, no more cold shoulders. Uh, it's, It's saying, I'm not going to get payback. You must treat the other person as if it had never happened. Okay, here's the thing though. It is not forgetting. Have you ever heard people say that? Forgive and forget? Anybody heard that? That's malarkey. That's junk. Okay, forgive and forget can't really exist. That's not really forgiving. Forgiveness, we've already said, is taking the hurt, is taking the cost. So if you are forgetting, you're just sweeping it under the rug. True forgiveness doesn't forget, 
The true forgiveness takes the cost and relinquishes and lets go the other person. Takes the pain, takes the hurt, the embarrassment, the betrayal, whatever it might be, upon yourself, and you let the other person go. You might say, that's not fair. That is absolutely right. It is not fair. That's the point. And that's the good news of the gospel, is that God no longer counts our sins. He no longer sees our sins. Psalm 102 it says that our sins are from as far as the east is from the west. Okay, Micah 7, 19, it is, our sin is hurled into the sea. Isaiah 43, 25, our sin is blotted out. First, uh, Colossians 1, 21 and 22, we are free from accusation. And all of this says that God no longer counts our sins against us. So do, you, do we really believe that? We really believe. Here's the thing. I don't think God forgets. I know he, he remembers and counts it against us no more. Because it's been counted against his son. Jesus remembers. He wears the scars today. So, we must fully accept and understand God's forgiveness towards us. And so, with that, understanding our need to forgive others. Now, so, this guy's forgiven. He's released, he's let go, he is a free man, he is debt free. And what does he do? It says he immediately goes out find somebody that owes him, and the text says, a hundred denarii. And, and it, says, it doesn't say he demands the money back. It just says he starts to strangle him. Notice the text. Let's read it. Uh, it says, But when the same servant went out, he found his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. The servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. It's it's the exact wording, other than the choking. The king didn't choke. It's the exact wording. Pay me what you owe. And he begs for patience. He begs for mercy. What happens? Verse 30 He refused and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. Now, we look at that and it's obvious there's something wrong with this. After after having been forgiven so much, he's going to go and demand the payback of this 100 denarii. What's 100 denarii? Well, I won't, do the, I won't do all the workout math for you, but it's, it's maybe a few thousand dollars. Okay? But in comparison to 10,000 talents, 100 denarii is like a hundredths and maybe a thousandths of a tenth of, of the value. It's, it's incomparable. Now, here's one thing we want to say, though, is that if, if somebody... Stole a few thousand dollars from me, that would be painful. 
So he's not saying here that this guy wasn't owed anything. He's not saying that when people harm us and hurt us and offend us and sin against us, that it doesn't hurt, it doesn't feel hurt, and it's not painful. But in comparison to what God has forgiven us, it, can't, it doesn't compare. And so it should be obvious that this man should be forgiving others. He should forgive the debt of these other people. And then when people see it, and by the way, people watch us, especially as Christians, but when people see what happens here, they don't like it, do they? They see it and they are upset. And they go and talk to the king. So let, let me ask you guys, why do you think this servant went out and didn't forgive? The text doesn't exactly tell us. Why? Why doesn't he forgive? I've tried to think things through. Like, Maybe he just didn't understand what just happened. Maybe he forgot. Um, Maybe worse, maybe he really didn't value that he had been forgiven so much. Maybe he didn't care a lick about that king. We don't know. Maybe he just had to have his payback. He couldn't stand the injustice. But the problem is, the injustice is worse for him now. And so the king's response to this story is very very telling. Look in verse 32 through 34. It says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I gave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. It's a really harsh response. And I think fittingly. Now, I I think... um, I don't think Jesus is saying that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. I'll say that first of all. Okay? But rather, in God having forgiven us, how much more should we forgive others? But I think what he's saying here is, first of all, if you really believe, you really understand, you really accept That you had that kind of debt before God and that it was fully and completely paid by Jesus' death on the cross. You are going to have a heart of compassion and mercy for others and to willingly forgive. There's uh, Tim Keller talks about, it was an old man in, in their church that everybody just talked about. And just really reveled in the fact that this old man just cared for his wife and her illness like no other. He was just so self, self-giving, self-sacrificing, and just really poured it on. And everybody just talked about it, how great a guy he was, this, that, and the other. And uh, Keller had a, a conversation with him one day, and, and the man said, you know, I know people like, like always talk about this and make a big deal out of it, but you've got to understand, there's more to the story. What people don't know is that for decades, my wife cared for me in my illness. My wife served me. 
my wife loved me and helped me. And so now, finally, after all those years, I get the opportunity, I get the thrill, I get the gift of showing her how much I appreciate what she's done for me. That's what comes out of our heart. When we really accept, when we really see what he has done for us, it should be our joy to take people's sin and to pay the cost and to forgive and to show the same kind of mercy. Now, there's another response that the king does. It says the king took him and imprisoned him and to be tortured. I, I, think, I don't know if Jesus is talking literally here. I think what's going on here, he's pointing to the fact that if we fail to accept the genuine forgiveness that God forgives to us, and we refuse to live a life of forgiveness, to live a life of love and forgiveness, we will be imprisoned and we will be tortured. Just in the fact that we fail to forgive, we fail to love, it will prison you and it will torture you and you will end up a miserable harsh critical lonely person even if you're in a relationship so the point is the the forgiveness for God's people is never optional and Jesus started this conversation how many times must we forgive how many times must we forgive? And seven times? And Jesus used the phrase and 70 times seven times. Now, you could do the math and say, okay. And maybe you're one of those kind of people who are like that. Well, he, he you know, he, he uh, forgave me. I forgave him 200 times. Well, he's only got, you know, 504 or two, whatever it is, 549 left, or whatever the number might be. And you're counting all that down. That is not what Jesus is saying here. He's using a phrase that means it, it, it's endless. We, we, you can't forgive enough. There is not enough forgiveness, not enough times in your life that you should not forgive, that you should not be doing these things. And then he says, so forgiveness is not optional, and he calls us to forgive with our, all of our hearts. And what does that mean? We've, hopefully I've already seen it. I'm going to recap this. Okay, what does it mean to forgive with your heart, he says here? First it says, first, we must show mercy and compassion. We must, when we see somebody, we've been offended, we need to, instead of the defense, the anger, all the things that we normally do when we are offended, we're hurt, we're, we're sinned against, we need to have compassion. So what does that mean? What does it mean to have compassion on, or pity and mercy on somebody who sinned against you? Well, what normally happens when we sin against, when somebody sins against us? Automatically, we go into non-compassion mode. <laughs> we go into the opposite of that, and we start to look, and all we can start to see is everything that is wrong about that person. It becomes like those drawings at the theme park. You ever go, like those little booths they have? I think they're called caricatures drawings. And they draw people, and it's really funny because a character drawing takes the features, usually the funniest looking features of a person, and really exaggerates those. You know, if you have like kind of a little bit larger nose, like big old nose, you have big ears, big ears, or whatever. If you have small eyes, they make them even smaller, and so on. And so basically, it flattens the person and makes them into their grossest features, and that makes it all that you can see. And that's what we do to people. 
So when somebody sins against me, I'm hurt, I'm offended. All I can now see is everything that is wrong about that person. But what do we do when we sin? What do we do for ourselves when we do things that are wrong, when we mess up? We have mercy and compassion, right? We start saying, well, you know, I know I blew up and, and yelled at you, but I was stressed out, you know, it was a long day at work and all this. Right? We start to give ourselves compassion. We start to give ourselves a break. And that's what we're called to do for others first. And then we must be willing to pay the cost to forgive others. It means when your spouse, your friend, your co-worker does something horrible, offensive, or whatever it is, and it really hurts, we don't pretend like it doesn't exist. We take the pain. We carry the wound, just like Christ carried ours. We are willing to pay the cost for others, and in that, we must let them go. We, to genuinely forgive, you must release the right to get payback if in, in any way, whether it's direct, aggressive payback, or more likely, passive payback. Like somebody at work offends me, says something bad about me, or so, what do I do? I, mean, I start talking bad about them. You know, I stop talking to them, or maybe I, you know, uh, will do things that undermine them, or what. And it's a passive payback. And you start doing that, and it, or even in your, in your your relationship with your spouse or somebody close to you, all those little slights, and those little paybacks are happening. It starts to build, and then you end up in a, a situation where you look at your spouse, your friend, or your whoever. And, you, and you, all you can see is the worst. And you have what's called the death of a marriage. It's called contempt. So we must, and then so we should do this endlessly. Now, uh, I'm going to close because I was reminded of a story. I think it was in 2012. A uh, 30-year-old man, 30-ish old man, old age man, uh, walked into an Amish school, schoolroom schoolhouse and uh, it had multiple guns took 10 little girls ranging from the age of 6 to I think 14 and told the, the, the adults and the boys to leave tied them up shot all 10 of them and then, then shot himself five of them died five of them lived and some of them with horrible, horrible disabilities, some with just horrible trauma to this day. Well, that Charles Roberts had a mama, and his mom, she talks about the day she found out about it, and actually had been praying that morning with her, her Bible study or whatever to just take care of the kids in the schools and whatever. When she, she was in her car and she heard it on the radio, she went home and her husband came out to meet her in the yard and said, it was our son, he did it. He says, we can never face the Amish community again. Well, several weeks later, they had a private funeral for Charles. And as they were standing there by the graveside, the few people, about four, 30 or 40 people from the Amish community, some of whom had, were actual parents of the victims, 
came out to this gravesite and circled around them and loved them and proclaimed to them, we forgive you. We forgive Charles. And they talk about how, and that, that became this uh, unique, unusual friendship between Charles's mom and the people in this community, particularly some of the victims. As a matter of fact, Charles's mom would go and help care for this one little girl who is now uh, pretty much brain dead. She sees us all the time, has to have 24-hour care, and she goes and whatnot and so on. And, but the, one of the things is, is you, can, you can go online. You can, the Washington Post, uh, NPR, all the major news organizations paid attention because this community of Christians said, we are going to forgive. We are going to not just forgive. We're going to forgive and we're going to, we're going to take the pain. We're going to take it upon ourselves. And we're going to actively show love. We're going to let this family go. We're going to release them from this debt. Now, don't get it wrong. It's that you, you listen to their stories. They're like, it's not easy. They said, we decided to forgive first. And then we deal with the emotional part of it later. And they say someday, especially the father of that little girl, who's now, you know, basically brain dead and needs 100% care all the time. Her life is gone, even though she's there with them. Or the parents, they say every day, we have to forgive. The anger builds, the resentment's there sometimes, and, but we let it go. We forgive, we forgive. And the world saw the power, the magnificence of genuine Christian forgiveness. And that's what Jesus calls us to. Calls us to have joy in forgiving others. Because He has forgiven us so much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for this passage that so clearly lays out for us what it means to forgive. Lord, help us to not char characterize, characterize people, but that we would have compassion and, and, and love for other people. Lord, help us that when we are sinned against, that we're hurt, sometimes by people closest to us, over and over and over again, Lord, that you would give us a heart that would take the pain, take the loss, that we would forgive their debt. And Lord, help us also to actively release them, to act as, to, as if they had never sinned against us. And not only that, that we would just shower them with love and grace. Lord, that is, this requires the heart transformation that you can only give us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts to give us hearts of genuine forgiveness. And let me end by saying, Lord, thank you. Lord, when we reflect upon the debt that we owe you, you are the most precious, beautiful, amazing being in the universe, and we spit in your face. We rebel against you. We, we, we treasonously turn away from you. We disobey. We slight you. We offend you. 
Lord, and yet you forgive. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for that. And, Lord, as we come to this table, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember and to celebrate how you have done that for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus.